0: Hebrews chapter 10, we've been looking at... Uh, Concept that John Calvin was credited with as being the first one to write extensively about it. Looking at the, you look at the Old Testament, when someone was anointed, they were either um, they were either a prophet or a priest or a king. Those were the offices that um, you would, you would anoint them for those specific tasks, and Calvin was was, um, like I said, he's credited as being the first one who really knows who has the first idea about something. He was the first to look at Christ and to see how he fulfilled each of those Old Testament offices in, in the most perfect way uh, possible. So we started off, we kind of did them out of order, and we started off with King and how Christ is uh, the, the ruler and final authority in all the universe, that he holds all things together, and yet he comes into our lives at the same time with the same authority and the same power and takes control of every single part of us that was corrupted by sin, that he was the remedy for that corruption. So our emotions were corrupted by sin, were Every single every single part of us emotionally was corrupted. And so he comes in and he says, your emotions are actually mine. I'm the king. I'm in authority over your emotions. And sometimes we don't like to, we kind of think that like emotions are kind of an exception to things, you know, like I can't really control it, you know, it's just kind of, you know, I'm on this emotional roller coaster. And Jesus actually says, no, your emotions are mine. They're controllable, not by you, but by me, but you keep trying to be the king and that's why things get weird. And if you would stop competing with me for authority and quit kidding yourself into thinking that this—that you're actually the king—let me be the king. Then um, I will exercise my authority and I will prove to you uh, how powerful I am. So our emotional lives, our physical lives—whether we're talking about our, um, you know, sicknesses and disease and that kind of stuff, or we're just talking about our our possessions or anything tangible. Uh, he also looks at those things and says, that's mine. So it's my car, my house, my job, my money, my family. Um, if, you, uh, if you were to be diagnosed with some sort of illness, my illness, you know, my cancer, my strep throat, my allergy attack, my everything. And spiritually, of course, it's thing. I mean, even our, even our relationship with him is actually his. So there's just nothing in our nothing that we can can possibly list uh, that Jesus doesn't look at and say that's mine. And there was somebody famous said that I don't remember who it was, but um, so that's kind of what we talked about, and how we are in this competitive thing with, with him over king, you know, or who's going to be the king over things, and, and how we a lot of times have these little parts of life tucked away, and we kind of convince ourselves that we're the king of this little, you know, this little province over here, and that's just not the case. So Jesus, as the king of our lives, comes in and says, whatever it is that you're dealing with, emotional stuff, physical stuff, spiritual stuff, it's all his, and all we kind of have to do is just relax and just let him be the king. Um, then we talked last week about him being our, our prophet, and how prophets basically just told the truth. And they were anointed and sent out into the world to proclaim the truth of, the truth about God and the truth about humanity. Sometimes that was a really good job, and sometimes that was... Kind of a bad job because sometimes the truth feels great and sometimes it feels like a punch in the face, and uh, you can quote me on that. And so um, sometimes that's that's what Jesus does. I mean, there are times when um, Him telling you the truth is is like we sang in the in the first song. I mean, the truth about God is that He is strong and powerful and good, and He is all. That's the truth about Him. And as a general statement about humanity, we believe. Lies about God. We've treated these lies as though they're, they're true, and so there is this general suspicion about God. You know, like he's got some sort of secret agenda, and he's really trying to trick us all. And it's all about, you know, religion is all about control and all this kind of stuff. And so the prophets come in and they and they say, um, "This is the truth about God. You've believed lies about him, but we're here to tell you the truth about him." And then when it comes to ourselves, we believe lies, lies about ourselves. Um, sometimes it's kind of like the kingship thing. where We've kind of de- deceived ourselves into thinking that we're more awesome than we really are. Um, or we're, you know, our ideas are better than his. Or that we really don't need a savior or a redeemer because we're really, we're not that bad. We're not as bad as somebody else. And, um, comparatively, um, we, you know, we stack up. We're kind of in the upper, you know, the, the better end of the bell curve of morals and stuff like that. So we think like we're okay. And, um we don't really need healing from the things that have happened to us in the past and we don't, you know, there's just all these lies about ourselves that we believe that this is how I am. I'm always going to be this way. So I don't, you just need to everybody just needs to deal with it. And Jesus the prophet comes in and says, "Okay, this is the truth about God. This is the truth about you." The truth about you is that you are valuable. The truth about you is that in spite of your value and worth to God, you're finding your value in things that are going to ultimately just be destroyed in spite of your worth and value to God you're finding your, your, your value in relationships or possessions or whatever in spite of your worth and value to God and the fact that he wants to make you into his image um, you just reside to the fact that you're always going to have these struggles and everybody else has to deal with it when the reality is he's ready to come in and transform you literally and especially in this area of life that seems to be such a stumbling block for you that that's the truth but the truth is uh, we're gonna have to get in there and deal with some stuff and you're probably not going to want to deal with your issues it's going to be painful to deal with some of this baggage you're going to have to begin to say no to some things and you're going to have to have some tough conversations you're going to have to dig into those emotional dark places that you've tried to to keep covered up and sometimes the truth that Jesus the prophet brings is the is is when he steps into life and says, this is God, and he's holy, and this is you, you're a sinner, you're not. It's that illumination. It's the fact that, that when you realize, like, wow, I have been believing a lie, and now the prophet has come, and he's told me the truth. And so if, if we think about it as a, as a process, the prophet comes and tells you the truth, whether you, whether you like it or not. On this side, we have the king who steps in and takes authority and deals deals with those things and helps us walk through all of life. The priest kind of comes in the middle. The priest provides that reconciliation to God that is needed. So the, the prophet says, there's a problem, you're separated from God, you're a sinner, you're an object of wrath. The priest comes in and says... Yeah, we can do something about that, and this is this is how it works. And the king comes in. The king comes. He says, um, "Okay, now that now that you've been through this process, let's get in here and figure out how to how to do what we just sang about. How the inside out life can really become real for you. How the outside life can catch up with the inside reality that the prophet pointed out and that the priest made a way to transform. Now I'm going to come in and be the king instead of you trying to be the king all the time." So we'll kind of fill in this this middle section. Now in Hebrews chapter 10, um, I got to be real honest. There's well, first of all, I'm incredibly, incredibly intimidated by the book of Hebrews, and uh, have never really talked out of it very much. And this week I definitely realized why, because it is awesome, and I don't understand it. So when those two things come together, I tend to kind of want to step back a little bit, and. Talking about the priesthood of Christ alone would just, we could spend weeks talking about it, especially when you begin to tie in Old Testament stuff. Uh, There's just so much here that really just kind of got overwhelmed, even just this morning. Like, how in the world is this all going to come together and make sense? So rather than reading like 600 verses, we're just going to do like a couple. Sound a good compromise? And within those, I think, I think within those few verses, I think we can cover some of the material in the other hundreds. Let's, let's look at, at 10, chapter 10, we're looking at 11 through 14, kind of pick those apart a little bit. It says, And every priest stands daily at his service, offering repeatedly the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. But when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God, waiting from that time until his enemies should be made a footstool for his feet. For by a single offering he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. Okay? So in those couple of verses, um, if you want to learn more, start in Hebrews, uh, maybe 1, and then keep reading. Um, But if you, uh, seriously, from like 5 through 10 and 11, those, all those chapters, it gets into all this all this stuff, all this history and whatever, and kind of keeps making some of these same points over and over again, um, but then these verses kind of contain almost like a like a synopsis of what's come before it. It kind of gets you ready to launch into what's next. Let's, let's look at 11. It says, And every priest stands daily at his service, offering repeatedly the same sacrifices which can never take away sin. Okay. We're going to leave that verse up for a little while, and let's, let's pick it apart. Every priest stands daily at his service. Okay, um, if you go back to uh, when the, the law was given, um, when Moses came down the mountain and brought the law, and um, you get into those the first five books of the Bible, and it's getting into all this stuff about the, the Levites and all these uh, the, the sacrificial system and all the things they had to do to atone for sin and the different kind of sin offerings and stuff like that— um, I mean, I'm going to try to just condense it as best I can. God gave, he gave a law, and the law was there, like we said a few weeks ago, to basically show you that there's a problem. So, like I said a few weeks ago, if I tell you, don't think about the number seven, there's no way that you're going to be able to think about anything else. That's what the law did. The law was like, hey, don't kill anybody. And all of a sudden, when like, you're like, I just want to kill this guy, you're like, wait a second, there's a problem. When before, maybe they were just like, I'm just going to kill this guy. And now all of a sudden they're like, but wait, I was told not to do this. It's like a parent and a kid. Whenever you tell the kid not to do something, that's all the kid wants to do. So once there's a rule set in place, you realize that you have this natural resistance to certain things. So he gives the law to show the fact, that okay, there's a problem here. But at the same time he gives the law, he gives this sacrificial system. Like they, they, come, they come together. So he says, okay, I'm going to show you that there's a problem, but I'm also going to provide a solution. And the solution is going to involve a couple of things. It's going to involve people who are guilty coming uh, coming to a point where they recognize their guilt and they want to make things right before God. And then there's this priest that's going to be the the middleman, basically. He's the mediator of of this this atonement. So people would come, and it it would depend on the... The kind of sin offering it was and the uh, like how much money the people had and they're just different things but they would bring like a bull or a goat or uh, some pigeons or just whatever depending they would bring these things to the priests and the priest um, they would come to the temple they bring the animals in and I'm not really sure what kind of dialogue they had but at some point the people who brought that the animal um, they were acknowledging the fact that the they know that they are sinners. They know that, that there's a separation from God. They know that reconciliation is necessary because of the law. And they want to make things right. So the, so they bring in the animal, they put the animal there, and they place their hands onto the animal. And what that does, it symbolically transfers the guilt from them to the animal. So that animal has now become a substitute for them. And then the animal is killed. And then they would do different things with the blood. But there was like like an altar and this fire and stuff. And um, if you ever see drawings of of like the temple and stuff, like in the back of your Bible, there's usually like a plume of smoke coming up because they were just, this was going on all the time. So they bring the animal in. They transfer the sin to the animal. So this innocent animal is now guilty and is a substitution. And then they, you know, kill the animal, do different things with the blood. Sometimes they took parts of the animal back to eat. Sometimes the whole thing was burned. It just kind of, It would just depend. But the priest was, was the middleman. So he was the one that was actually putting things on the altar. He was the one that, that you went to for there to be reconciliation. And that was an office, and that's how God set things up. So he's like, here's the law to show that you're guilty, but here's the system I'm going to set up. I'm going to use these priests to be a middleman between us. And so the priest, they know how to do everything, and they're going to conduct everything just right, and when everything's been done just right, that sin has been forgiven. It has been atoned. So that's kind of that's kind of how that works. So when it says, every priest stands daily at his service, that's what he's talking about. These priests, they stand up all day long, and all they do is they receive people, and the, they watch the sin get transferred, and they help. Sometimes the person would actually kill it, sometimes they would do it, but then they're... They're constantly just butchering and putting on the altar and sprinkling blood different places, and they're just constantly carrying out this service all day long. There were times in, in Jerusalem at the temple, uh, this might be a little bit too much information, but there's a valley between uh, Jerusalem and like the, the Mount of Olives, and they, at times this valley would just be full of blood because it's just running from the temple down this hill, and there's just lines of people because all they would do all day long at certain times of year, just nothing but sacrifice and sacrifice and sacrifice. So these priests are worn out because they're just standing all day long. I'm sure there's rotation, but they're just like standing all day long in his service, constantly making the same sacrifice over and over and over. So it's, when it says offering repeatedly the same sacrifices, that tells us something. It tells us that, that this forgiveness, this atonement, this reconciliation was, was incomplete. It was was a temporary thing. Because that sacrificial system, like it says, it wouldn't take away sin. Offering repeatedly the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. Now, I sit back and look at that verse and say, okay, well, then why do it in the first place? Like, that seems kind of cruel. Seems like you could have better use of animals. You know, I mean, if it's not going to do any good, then. But that's not what it says. It just said it, it didn't take away sins. And there's a lot of purpose and a lot of grace and a lot of good things in this system without getting into it too deeply one of the one of the biggest things it did was it it, it created this mindset of I need a substitute created it brought in this reality that sin is a serious thing and something has to die and that something should be me but instead it's going to be this this goat so my guilt is transferred so you have this entire community this entire nation who's Mentality is sin is serious and requires death and death can be a substitute and that substitute can even be innocent. And sin is not a joke. Sin is not something we should, oh, it's kind of an inconvenience or it's not something to be like, oh, I'm sorry, God, whatever. No, something has to die as a punishment. As much as I'm glad that I live on this side of the cross, sometimes I kind of wish I had that serious of a view of the impact that sin has so these priests they stand daily at his service offering repeatedly the same sacrifices which can never take away sins then look at verse 12 but when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins he sat down at the right hand of God Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins he sat down at the right hand of God he sat down priests are standing Jesus one time gets to sit down that's not that's not a random little detail the priests were performing this incomplete act that was very purpose but it it, it wasn't getting the job done um by God's design, they're standing, and they're standing, and they're standing, and Jesus, just one time, he sits, because it's complete, because it is done. But when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God. When, um, whenever there was a covenant, you would, you would cut a covenant. The first time we see it is with God and Abraham, but you would, would cut the animal in, in half. And so there was always blood where there was a covenant. But there there are basically three three components to a covenant. You had, you had man's side of the agreement, you had side of the agreement, then you had the blood of the animal, you had the sacrifice. Well, in Christ, he is all three parts of that covenant. That he's fully man, so he represents us. He's fully God, so he represents God. And he himself was the physical sacrifice. We talk about, you know, oh no, we, we just love to teach the new covenant. We're basically saying we love to teach Christ. Because he is literally the embodiment of the new covenant. In his own blood. So he, once and for all, takes care of it. And now he can sit down. Because there's no need for anything else to happen. So... In his death on the cross, not only did he perfectly function as our priest, but he brought to an end that entire system. There's no need to sacrifice bulls and goats and all that stuff anymore. There isn't a need for a a human mediator anymore. We don't have to worry if things are, are okay. We don't have to... We don't have to second guess, you know, did we get the right animal? Did the priest do everything correctly? And we don't have to, there's we don't have to worry about it. If we were the high priest, we wouldn't have to have a rope tied around our ankle before we go into the Holy of Holies. Like we don't have to worry about that anymore because Jesus is sitting down. It's done. It's complete. So when we think about him being prophet, priest, and king, as prophet, he's he said, hey, this is a problem and it needs to be fixed. And the priest has said, uh, I'm going to fix it. And the king has said, yeah, now that it's been fixed, now we're going to keep working on it so you can figure out how to live this new life. And that might not make a lot of sense, but if you look at look at verse 14, it says, for by a single offering he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. By a single offering he's perfected for all time those who are being sanctified really, really important thing for us to, to grasp, that we have been perfected, okay? That's the internal new life, new heart, everything. We have been perfected. So the prophet has spoken, the, the priest has done his job and reconciled us to God as the mediator. But this shows where the, the kingly part comes in. So we've been perfected for all time, but we're also those who are being sanctified. Sanctified just means maturing in Christ, becoming more like him. It's discipleship. It's, it's, it's the outside of our lives catching up with the inside, um, you know, our external, our behaviors and our thoughts and our, our you know, all that stuff catching up with this inside that is holy and pure and righteous and loves the Lord our God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength and loves our neighbor as ourselves. So we've been perfected for all time. And we're being sanctified. That that just amazes me. That he would come in and tell us the truth, to make a way, and then walk with us every single day, exercising authority over us. To see all those things together. So Jesus is, is seated at the right hand of the Father now. That part is done. So we can come in here and we can sing and we can go home. We can open up the scriptures for ourselves. We can pray without ceasing. Every, you know, in the, everywhere that we go, we can we can live that life because Jesus is seated and it's done. We don't have to keep working hard to earn anything or whatever. But the priestly role was not just one of like mediating sacrifices. The priest also offered offered prayers and praise on behalf of the people. Um, I'm just going to put up. These verses, you don't have to turn or whatever, but in Hebrews 7, 23, it says this. It says, The former priests were many in number because they were prevented by death from continuing in office, but he holds the priesthood permanently. That's good, right? Because he's sitting down. Because he continues forever. Consequently, he's able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him since he always lives to make intercession for them. He always lives to make intercession for them. Okay? He's the constant mediator for us. Okay? So if you think prophet, priest, and king, in terms of, of when, when you responded to, to God in, in the, your salvation moment, you know, when you realized I'm valuable to him and he's been pursuing me and he loves me and Jesus died for me and you, you respond in faith, Think about in those terms when God says, you're a sinner, that's bad news, that's the prophet. And the priest says, the good news is there's a way. And the king comes in and says, okay, I'm going to be the king of your life, okay? That's, That's in one sense. But this says that as our priest, he's constantly mediating for us. So this prophet, priest, king idea isn't one that's exclusively about what he did on the cross on that one day. And in your life, in my life for anybody's life who's is a Christian in that moment this is daily reality a daily factor for us so as as Jesus the prophet continues to expose sin issues and problems and things that we need to deal with and he continues to tell us the truth this is who God is you're not him this is the truth about God quit believing the lies this is the truth about yourself and he continues to reveal that stuff. Our priest lives to make intercession for us. Jesus is sitting down, so we've been reconciled, but he's continually making intercession for us in those issues. So the prophet exposes that sin, but the priest is constantly, constantly making a way, constantly standing in the gap, constantly mediating that grace and mercy for us. That's easy to get hung up over here. When uh, when God like convicts and says, uh, guess what, things aren't great. A lot of times we like to hang out in, in this a little bit too much. We're like, oh, I'm the worst Christian ever. I'm probably not even really a Christian. And um, I mean, I'm sure that like this person probably never struggles with this. And I'm just probably just you, you know, and you just kind of have that pity party or whatever. When we see, and w- when we fail to see Jesus the priest and Jesus the king, and we just dwell on Jesus the prophet, this ends up being like a very hopeless place. But when you find yourself here, we have to be reminded, and we have to remind each other about the priest who's making intercession. He's saying, come on, let's go this way. Let's go toward the king's side. Let's bring you from um, this reality check, punch-in-the-face moment. Let's, let me remind you that everything's okay because I'm interceding for you constantly as well. Everything's going to be fine. I'm going to bring you to the king because uh, this, this is the authority that you need in order to deal with that issue. So he's seated, but that doesn't mean he's done. The fact that he's sitting down means that he doesn't have to now work to reconcile you to God. Now he's just sitting down, just being the kind of the middleman. I don't mean that in a menial way. I mean, like, it's done. He doesn't have anything to worry about. I'm sitting down, but it's like, yeah, yeah, he's one of ours. Yeah, we can fix that. Yeah, this is all good. Yeah, we're going to be fine. Um, King, let's do this. Which, you know, he's all the same person. But, you know. Um So that's what Jesus is doing, constantly, constantly, constantly. Um, And if you look in chapter 4, this is a verse that I haven't hung up on for a while. In 4, verse 14, it says this, "...since then we have a great high priest who's passed through the heavens, Jesus the Son of God. Let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who's unable to sympathize with our weaknesses." but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Holy Moses, right there. Do you see that? Let's use it again. For we do not have, we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. See, under the, the old system, you had these priests, and they were mediating all this stuff, but they had issues too. They had to do all their own purification stuff and all that or whatever. You had an imperfect vessel trying to mediate this imperfect system. But now there's a perfect vessel mediating a perfect system. But not only that, as Christ is seated, when you're over here and the, the issue that you're dealing with is is like I mean let's let's say that it's some sort of lie that's been spoken into your life. This mediator is seated, I should probably have brought a chair up here, is seated, but he's sitting there being like, Yeah, I was lied to. Yeah, I know what that's like. I was in the desert. I fasted for 40 days. I was lied to. I understand that. I know it's difficult. Hey, king, let's remind them of, of the truth about who they are. Now that they realize that there's a problem, I understand, what, I understand what's needed in this situation. I'm the only one that's ever made it through without sinning. Um, this, is, this is what, as the king, this is, this is what needs to happen. awesome if you're over here and you're you're going through something and the the prophet reveals to you that it has you know there's just some baggage from your life history we talk about this in in community groups and it's kind of unearthed some stuff and you're like man i need to deal with this and the prophet's saying yes you need to deal with this you have not healed Um, you this baggage is ridiculous and the priest part of jesus is sitting there saying yeah there are rumors about me in my hometown too because my mom just like appeared all of a sudden was pregnant before I was born I was considered to be one of those people who didn't know who their dad was and when I would show up in a town to preach it'd be like hey isn't that the carpenter's son I know what that's like and the king's side of him you would tell the king side of him this is this is what is needed in this situation because I've been there because I know tempted in every way as us. You might think, well, I mean, Jesus never, I mean, he didn't have the same temptations we had today. Well, boil it down to the root issue. He's been there. And I could give examples, but I'm I'm not going to do that. No matter what the issue is that the prophet Jesus is exposing, the priest Jesus has been through it. According to that scripture, he's been there. He's already been there, and he knows exactly what is needed. He tells the king side of himself, this is, this is the truth that's needed. This is how to exercise authority over this, because he knows. And what's amazing is these aren't three separate offices. This is, this is one guy who has that kind of insight when he looks at our lives. He looks at, at, at my life, and he says, this is a problem, but I know how to fix it, and I have the power to fix it. All the same person. So I can come, I can approach the throne of grace, which is conveniently uh, what it says in verse 16. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. That in time of need, I can approach the throne of grace and I can simply say, I need you. And the prophet and the priest and the king, they all show up that's three in one, That seeing Jesus as the perfect fulfillment of these three things in one person who loves me and died to redeem me. I mean, what, what more could I ask for? You know? what What has he left undone? Nothing. Absolutely nothing. As we look to Easter, and we look at his death on the cross, I mean, can you write a better story? Can you ask for more from God than someone who cares enough to tell you the truth and loves you enough to make a way to reconcile things? And his desire is to come in and show off his authority and power over every issue of your life. I mean... It, it doesn't get better. It just really doesn't. And I was sitting in my house today, and I was kind of thinking. It just a lot of times on Sundays, when things just kind of like come together, and a lot of times it makes so much sense to me. And I'm my prayer is like, please just let it come across and make sense. Sometimes, it, sometimes it does. Sometimes it probably doesn't. I don't know. But I was thinking about. It, I was like, okay, so then what? What holds me back? You know, what is it that keeps me from, from really just living a life that sees Christ in that way? That when the prophet speaks, I see it as love. And I'm lovingly drawn to the priestly side who's interceding. Why, I don't understand why that doesn't happen. Why do I see the prophet as getting up in my business? you know, Messing with my life. Or trying to think, oh, that's just the devil trying to get me down. No, that's the prophet telling you the truth. Why is it that I, that even when I lean into him as the priest, when it's time for the king side to come in and take authority, I'm so resistant. Why do I keep... Why do I fight him for power? Pa- I, I don't know. I have all these things in. I don't think that I'm I'm by myself. And during the, the music tonight, I was just, just really I was just I kind of just went to the back and I was like, what what's going on with, with this room tonight? You know? I could I couldn't tell. And I'm not saying there was a problem. I was just really trying to just trying to get my finger on the pulse of okay, where does this need to go? Because sometimes I know where we're gonna land, and sometimes I'm like, I don't know, I don't know. The only thing I could really sense was I just felt like, like this was the perfect message for this night, for this group of people. I'm not saying perfectly delivered, but I'm saying the concept is, is, is needed by some of us. Maybe all of us, I don't know. I don't know what, I don't know what it's going to take for you. I don't even know what it's going to take for me to really... Um, to live in a reality that Jesus is my prophet and my priest and my king. Because of his death on the cross, I'm, I mean, my life is set. That there's literally nothing I can list that's going to come at me that, that's going to change any of that. My prophet will always tell me the truth, my priest will always intercede for me, and my king will always exercise authority over whatever comes at me. So why do I freak out? Why do I worry about stuff? Why do I, you know, whatever. I don't know. That's what I have to ask him, is what's it going to take? I think that's a question for all of us. What's it going to take for us to live with that kind of Christ, like that kind of Christ-centered life Well, it's full of truth and grace and love and power and authority? Maybe, Maybe it just comes down to surrender like so much of life does. Maybe it just comes down to that I'm taking my hands off of this. I, I don't know. That's the beauty of a personal relationship with God, that Jesus, that's a part of what Jesus did for us, is that it's, it can be totally unique for all of us. We just simply have to ask and let him tell us in his own way. Um, so here's here's what what we usually do. I'll pray and we'll sing a song that connects with what we've been talking about. And I think these songs, I think that they're prayers. I think it's a response a response that we can make or not make. We can take or leave. Um, let's just continue to see what he has for us. Uh, would you pray with me, please? Father, I thank you so much that that whoever came up with this first, you now that you were able to connect some dots from the Old Testament to the New Testament. You now the fact that from the from the beginnings of scripture we see that that you have this amazing plan in place and that what seem like random little details here and there are actually just full of purpose and they fit into exactly what you want and that from the beginning of time you've seen us as fitting into your will and your plan and God as we as we look toward next Sunday, and we look just toward the events of next weekend, it always stirs us up emotionally to think about the brutality of the cross and all of that comes with it. Well, God, I pray that, that you will use what we've been talking about to prepare us to, really, to truly celebrate, but also, God, to now begin to, to live abundantly. Jesus the prophet, priest, king said I've come that you may have life and have it abundantly for him to express that desire should really tell us something I don't know what it's going to take for us but beauty is as our prophet you expose our need for this as our priest you know what it's like and you tell the king so even even in us asking how do I live with this kind of Christ in front of us you're the one that answers it the prophet priest king answers that request so father as we we just spend a few moments just kind of sitting and processing I just pray that your will would be done